Welcome to Behind the Curtain, LA Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. In this podcast, recorded in collaboration with the Colburn Conservatory of Music, Dr. Tiffany Kuo is joined by her students to explore how learning, performing, and living a fuller and broader world of classical music enhances our musical lives. This discussion, titled Diversifying the Standard Rep and Rediscovering Overlooked Masterworks, was recorded as part of LA Opera Connect's Play On series. Please note, musical excerpts have been edited for educational purposes. So welcome everyone to the final session of today. It's titled Learning, Performing and Living Classical Music by BIPOC. BIPOC stands for Black, Indigenous and People of Color. We are from the Colburn Conservatory and we are physically located just across the street from the LA Opera. And our class is titled The History and Future of American Symphony Orchestras, Systemic Racism and Reparations. So who are we? We are a graduate class of classically trained musicians from diverse backgrounds, and we're currently living in all corners of the world. So we'll start with uh, Herbrecht. Hi, I'm Herbrecht, and I'm currently in the Netherlands. That's where I'm from. Hi, I'm Ryan, and I'm currently in Hopkinton, Massachusetts. Hi, I'm Harry, and I'm from uh, Denton, Texas. Hi, I'm Galia, and I'm currently in Los Angeles. So Katie is a violist and violinist, and she is in New Jersey. Um, Next, we have Justin. Hi, I'm uh, Justin, and I'm currently in San Antonio, Texas, where I'm also from. Hello, I'm Max. I'm currently at home in Encinitas, California. Hi, I'm Elisa. I'm from Northern Virginia. I'm Nick. I'm from Portland, Oregon, and I play the bass. Next, we have Yukai. Hello, uh, I'm from Montreal, Canada. Hi, I'm Elizabeth. I'm from Venezuela, but right now I'm in South Carolina. And next we have Josh. Josh is from Cleveland. Uh, He's a bassoonist and um, he's currently living in LA. There is Steve Metcalf. He's a bassist. He lives in Denver. Uh, He's actually the principal bassist of the Colorado Symphony. Um, He is not able to join us today because the symphony is about to begin rehearsals next week. And so he's in in rehearsal. And this is how we have class. So uh, we as a class, uh, we are united. We're citizens, we're activists, and we are believers of anti-racism. And we believe that in the classical music world, this means in acknowledging all musicians who have come before us and who are with us and their contributions. So why are we here? We're here to share with you guys how learning, performing, and living a fuller and broader world of classical music that is more enhanced by BIPOC artists will enhance our lives. When we experience life and explore art outside of technical work, we're able to take those experiences and add them to our music making, and that can result in a more colorful product. Our work in the field of music is not separate from our place as human beings in a larger societal context. We have a duty to ensure that our art reflects who we are collectively. And we believe in working together to create a better future. Thank you. These are all various statements by the students. We would like to acknowledge um, the land that we are on. This is the uh, Indigenous Land Acknowledgement. So our statement is, we want to acknowledge that we gather virtually as Colburn Conservatory students on the traditional land of the Tonga people's past and present, and honor with gratitude the land itself and the people who have stewarded it through the generations. This calls us to commit to continuing to learn how to be better stewards of the land we inhabit as well. Thank you. So this presentation is divided into four segments, which corresponds with four themes. These four themes are four ways to rethink music history. Each theme encapsulates a concept, new lessons, and is punctuated by students' music performance. The first is 
be open to all histories. Here, I will provide a snapshot of classical music making by slaves in colonial and pre-Civil War America. We will listen to two movements from Joseph Bologna's Sonata for, it's for harp and flute, but then rearrange for clarinet. In this theme, find allies. We want to emphasize how each search and every search leads to more possibilities and opportunities. I will highlight the Institute of Composer Diversity. Then we will listen to the slow movement of Samuel Coolidge Taylor's clarinet quintet. The third theme is communicate without judgment. In this segment, we would like to share with you the importance of open communication. This section concludes with two works, an excerpt of Ulysses K's Serenade, a horn quartet, and Adolphus Hale Stork's Divertimento for violin and viola. Last, we've been very busy discovering new works and some of which you are listening to the fruits of today. And as such, we're making new friends and changing our habits. We conclude with a work by a young black composer, Xavier Foley, his hibernation for violin and bass. So be open to all histories. On the right is an image from a mural in the arts district. The message, more than your token black person, suggests that we are individuals, hence each of us has a unique narrative. In the classical music world, we recognize that musicians, including classical musicians, are of all ethnicities and races, as well as from all periods. And there are many untold stories or forgotten stories. I like to feature a period in the US history that we don't typically link African Americans with classical music. And that period is colonial America through the mid 19th century, sort of pre-Civil War. In this course, we study the existence of slave orchestras around the world. Today, I will share with you three evidence of slaves performing classical music in America. It comes from an edited volume by Eileen Southern and Josephine Wright. The title of the volume is African American Traditions in Song, Sermon, Tale, and Dance from 1600 to 1920. So what the editors point out here in this excerpt is that there was a story published in the Riverside Magazine for Young People in 1868. And in the stories, slaves were performing instrumental music. So I'll read this description here. Discussion of a mock tournament described as a favorite pastime of white children where instrumental music was performed by a slave orchestra consisting of two fiddles, fife, tambourine, and bones led by the famous black fiddler O. Nace Coleman. This is clear evidence that um, the slaves were performers and they performed for white audiences. And these ensembles could be labeled as slave orchestras. On the right, you see here a watercolor by John Lewis Crimmel, who is an American artist, and it's titled Barroom Dancing. And the same evidence that we see here, which is the performer, the musician, is black as a black slave. So while the last two examples are from pre-Civil War 19th century, there is evidence from 18th century of slaves who played European-derived instruments. These are two examples of slave advertisements. These are notices that provide information about runaway slaves. What is of interest are that the special skills included in the advertisement review the role of slaves in society. So I'll read both of these. The first one on top, it says runaway. A Negro man named Zach, about 20 years of age, five feet or seven inches height, slender built, sprightly walk, has lost the sight of his left eye, born in Connecticut, speaks good English, plays the fife and German flute, had a fife with him, had on a coat, waistcoat, overalls, 
and then it names all of the items that he took with him as a runaway slave. And here it's really clear that he not only is an instrumentalist, it's a trait that identifies him as a special slave. In the second advertisement, it says run away from this subscriber in Amelia in the year 1766, a black Virginian born Negro fellow named Sambo, about six feet high, about 32 years old. And here, this is really interesting. He makes fiddles and can play upon the fiddle and work at the carpenter's trade. I find this one really speaks volumes because uh, the slave here is not only a laborer, he's also a craftsman. And to recognize the slaves as craftsmen is incredibly important. And so to conclude this segment, it's just those are just sort of brief examples of um, that I found of slaves performing classical music in America and um, all over the world. So the important thing here is that we actually couldn't find music um, of just that is notated scores of music that we could play. So instead, we will listen to two movements from a contemporary black musician, Joseph Malone, whom you've learned a lot about today. The piece we were gonna to listen to is the Sonata for Harp and Flute in E flat major. And I will ask the students to introduce the work. Hi, so Hebrich and I will be playing this very elegant and refined sonata by 18th century composer, Joseph Malone. We're playing the first two movements of this work, um, the Andante and Tempo Minuetto. The first movement really showcases the very lovely and intimate nature that I think the harp really creates. Um, and it's a really delightful juxtaposition against the second movement's jaunty and lively character, where you hear more of a musical conversation happening between the two instruments. Um, I'm so grateful that this piece of music exists and I hope you enjoy the performance as much as we enjoyed playing it.
Thank you. That was so beautiful. And the second concept that we like to share is the importance of allies. There are numerous resources online. And the one we'd like to highlight today is the Institute for Composer Diversity. It is an active database, and it's where you can find works of lesser known composers by different search criteria. For example, you can search by living or deceased, you can search by genre, and the genres are as wide as orchestra, jazz and improv, they even have sort of young orchestra and young chorus, depending on your group and your needs. You can also search by demographics, such as American Indian, Latinx, and last, you can also search by location in case you are in a competition where you need to represent a particular state. The search results then lead to a card that displays the composer's name, the work that they have um, come up for you, the length of the composition, the grade level of the work, and the hyperlinks, such as the composer's page and various video links. So I highly encourage you to go to this website and search for you know, any composer and, and really broaden your repertoire. And in finding one ally, you're going to find a lot more. The first one is the LA Times podcast, Asian Enough. I had an assignment for the students, which is to, to listen to different episodes. So what Asian Enough is, the podcast, it interviews Asian Americans of all age groups, professions, and backgrounds. And this was a really fun assignment that allowed each student to learn more about a particular person they may not have only heard of and to learn a lot more about the particular Asian American. The second League of American Orchestras, we invited Dr. Aaron Flagg, a board member and chair of the Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Committee to our class to for a discussion on equity and symphony orchestras. Dr. Flagg is an African-American trumpeter, and he shared with us many insights of his journey from growing up in South Central LA to his current role as the chair and associate director of jazz studies at Juilliard. And the last shout out we want to give to is Big Bad Sound. It is a recording studio not too far away from downtown LA. It is actually where the quintet recorded, and that's the next piece you will hear. And it's really interesting because the owner of the studio reached out to me because he had heard through the grapevine that I'd been asking everyone in town about a COVID compliance space for the students to record. So the next piece you'll listen to is by the composer Samuel Coolidge Taylor. He is a 20th century English Black composer composer. Um, he's also a conductor. He studied in England and he studied both as a violinist and he studied composition. He had his first work published at the age of 16. I'm highlighting the work of 1891 as it's an early work and it's based on an American poet. Um, and I highlight this because he was incredibly interested in Americana and American um, cultures and American identities. And he did visit the US in 1904. And in this quintet that you're gonna listen to, you can hear sort of these sounds of Americana the way I think of it. Um, in fact, when I first heard it, I thought the composer must be an American, not you know a European. So we're gonna listen to the slow movement and Max and Galia will introduce the work. Hello. As mentioned, uh, Samuel Coleridge Taylor was born in London in 1875 um, to a father who was from Sierra Leone and was the descendant of uh, African-American slaves freed by the British and to an Englishwoman. And he entered the Royal College of Music uh, in 1890. And in 1895, during the course of his studies, um, there was a performance at the Royal College of Music of Johannes Brahms's recently composed clarinet quintet. And after the performance, Coleridge Taylor's teacher, uh, Charles Villa Stanford, remarked that no composer would ever again write a clarinet quintet without falling under the influence of Brahms's work. And so Coleridge Taylor naturally took this as a challenge, and within the year he had finished his own quintet, 
which I think absolutely succeeded at Stanford's challenge. Um, as a matter of fact, Stanford was so impressed that he brought the score with him to Berlin, where Josef uh, Joachim, the violinist who premiered Brahms's quintet, read through it with colleagues and spoke very enthusiastically about it. And um, it was published in 1906, but despite being an absolute gem, it's never really been recognized to the same extent as the other standard clarinet quintets by Mozart and Weber and Brahms. And um, I had never heard of it before this summer until um, I found out about it through the Institute for Composer Diversity. So um, Galia Kastner and I teamed up with three colleagues of mine from my time at USC, uh, Kyle Gilner, Nao Kubota, and Alan Hahn, to record this amazing second movement of the quintet. And uh, we're actually hoping to record the quintet in its entirety in the coming months. So uh, I hope you enjoy. That was so beautiful. I just want to take a moment to acknowledge that. It was absolute privilege to listen to that live. Um, as most of you um, haven't probably witnessed live performances in a while. And I just want to say that the recording engineer, um, after spending two hours recording, he said it was actually absolutely his pleasure to just listen to live music, for, um, you know, live classical chamber music since we hadn't heard it in so long. So we move on to our third topic, and our third topic is communicate without judgment. The phrase engage people past their visual identities epitomizes our third message. This semester, we've learned to not make assumptions, to share and trade stories. One lesson that Dr. Flagg taught us 
when we meet somebody to not just ask about the other person, but to suggest that we would trade stories. So for example, instead of asking, you know, where are you from? I could say instead, I really like the piece you played. I want to know more. Perhaps I can share with you what I'm working on and you can do the same. The idea is that when we reciprocate ideas and thoughts and stories, we present ourselves as being vulnerable. And one exercise that I have had the students repeat throughout the semester is to write private reflections that only I, the teacher, will read. I wanted to make sure that the class would have both public space in which we have open discussions on Zoom, as well as private spaces in thinking about these important and difficult topics and conversations. One prompt that I suggested was to write about one's own privileges. And I really believe that when we acknowledge our own privileges, we may be less judgmental of others. So in this segment, I like to feature two works by two different composers. The first one is by Ulysses K. He's an American composer of the 20th century. Um, and here you can see all of his honors um, studied in Arizona and at Eastman. Then he studied privately with Hindemith and Otto Luning. He served in the military. He received many awards and scholarships, including the Fulbright, the Guggenheim, and the Prix de Rome. Um, he was a professor at Lehman College at the City University of New York. He became the distinguished professor in 1972. And then in 1979, he was elected to the American Academy and Institute of Arts and Letters. Today, we have the privilege of listening to a horn quartet, which is really interesting because um, we only have one horn player, but she could play all four parts because she can record them and layer them on top of each other. Uh, so I will let Elizabeth talk a bit about the piece. Hi, thank you. Yeah, that's... <laughs> That was the experience that led me to see this piece from the inside out. Like I tried finding recordings, sadly there is none. And I received the score where all the voices are together after receiving the voices separately. So it was interesting to learn every, every voice and analyze the piece. And then finally, when I got the score, I listened back to the recording and I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> because this piece has so many beautiful moments. It is, I said to myself, it was like watching a movie in my head. It was like all characters of sounds. And then I actually read about um, Ulysses K. And then I was like, this makes sense <laughs> because he actually composed music for television and, and films. And it also reminded me of Hindemith as well. I have played Hindemith Sonatas, and I was, well, these sounds are very, it, it, somehow the style comes very familiar to me. And then I saw this and I was like, this also makes sense. And actually today I was just going through the score and reading the other movements that sadly again, I haven't really listened to, listened to them because there is no recording. The reason why I want to actually record the entire quartet um, but I was just singing and playing through the voices. And this piece is just beautiful and fantastic. So I hope one day we have the entire, all five movements, and we'll now, we will listen to an excerpt of it.
Thank you. And we are going to listen to one more piece before we reach the last segment. Here we have Adolphus Hailstork. He is a living composer. He is from Rochester. Uh, he studied in various places, including Howard and Manhattan School of Music and at Michigan State. Um, he's a professor at various places, including Norfolk State. He's currently at the Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, he has an active website. So if you Google his name, you will get to his website and you can listen to all many, many more compositions by him. He writes for the stage, for orchestra, for instrumental chamber music, as well as for vocal. Um, and today we have the pleasure of listening to the divertimento for violin and viola. And I will ask Katie and Yukai to introduce that piece. Thank you. So if we look at his repertory, um, it's really clear that Adolphus Hillstork has a really wide range of composing accomplishments. Um, from a young age, he's been in choirs, he's played the piano, the violin, the organ, he even started composing as early as 16 years of age. Um, and at one point in his life, when he was asked to describe his own musical philosophy, um, he observed in his own musical components, um, lyricism, tonality, and a propensity for creating a narrative. Uh, specifically, uh, his divertimento is written for violin and viola in three movements. And it was actually written as a wedding gift for Ava Capoletti and Philip Chow. Um, the violin and the violist to whom the score is dedicated to. The second movement, which Yukai and I will be playing today, is written in E flat major. It was also played during their wedding the first time that they heard the piece. Each movement represents a subtext for what their marriage could be, hence the narrative characteristic of this writing. And the second movement is appropriately titled Bliss. Um, the piece features a triplet rhythm brought out by the violin, which sings quite a beautiful and expressive line. And it's supported by the eighth notes in the viola, which gives this piece its underlying tenderness throughout. This was a really fun project for us, and we hope you enjoy it.
Thank you. That was so beautiful. Once again, we are going to go into the last segment of our presentation. Um, the last message or the recurring message, if you think about it, for today is discovering new works. It is intimidating to learn new works. Some of these works have never been recorded and the parts and scores are difficult to locate. For teachers, it may be even more daunting because we're supposed to know more than our students. But I urge all of us to think about learning new works as if we're making new friends. The more diverse our friends, the more diverse our repertoire will be. Our playing and our teaching are ingrained in a repertoire that's been, quote, standardized. It's a habit. The canon, right, that's what we call it. It's been habitualized. And we're here to change our habits. So to conclude, um, we'd like to feature a work by a young Black composer. His name is Xavier Foley. He's born in Georgia. He graduated from Curtis. He is a winner of the Young Concert Artist International Audition Award. Um, he received an Avery Fisher grant only a couple of years ago. If you Google his name, you will come to his website and he is an amazing performer. I highly, highly, highly suggest you go to his website and watch him perform. And, and he's performing his works, other people's works. It's just absolutely captivating. And today we have the pleasure of listening to a work called Hibernation, and it's for violin and double bass. And I will ask Harry to introduce, or you, Kai. Hi, so um, this is the Hibernation for violin and double bass, and it's one of his three violin-based duos. The other two being Cranberry Juice and Irish Fantasy. Xavier and his competition, uh, compositions has lots of influences from different parts of the world. And, but this one is more of a dark, serious and uh, mysterious work. So it's a really nice contrast to his usual, you know, upbeat and energetic style. Just to talk more about Xavier as an individual, he's a huge inspiration for all of us in the bass world and probably the music world right now. Um, he has an incredible body of work for somebody under 30 and is seriously in the conversation for one of the greatest bassists to ever live, in my opinion. He's very, very talented and um, it was a pleasure to record this piece. So please enjoy.
Thank you. And that is our last piece. And so I want to reiterate that we are here really to broaden the scope of our repertoire, um, to inspire you to discover more works, to look up more names, to learn more, to listen to more pieces, to form more allies. And I hope you have definitely made allies here. And so our last bit goes, uh, thank you to two organizations, the LA Opera and the Colburn School, um, and in particular at the LA Opera, of course, to Stacey Brightman, the VP of Opera Connect, and her team, Andrea and Adam, without whom this wouldn't have gone as smoothly. <laughs> and also to Colburn, um, specifically to two people, Debbie Smith, who is the library director and the director of academic programs. Uh, she obtained and procured all the scores for us because as we said, uh, many of these scores are not readily available um, on the internet. And so she did quite a bit of digging interlibrary loans just to get us a score. In fact, the score for the quintet, we literally pick up before the recording itself. We drove by Colburn and picked it up in the car. And last but not least, we'd like to thank our Dean, Lee Chopa. She came to me with this idea of collaborating with LA Opera. And I am so pleased that we did this project um, because we had so many recordings now made. We connected with so many different musicians and we've learned so much more about the music that have been ignored. And so with that, thank you so much. You've been listening to LA Opera's Behind the Curtain. Thank you and see you at the opera. If you've enjoyed listening to LA Opera's Behind the Curtain, you'll want to make sure you don't miss an episode. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to share this with your friends on Twitter and Facebook, and we'll see you at the opera.